Mark chapter 2, if you can turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. We're going to read in a few moments, just a couple of verses. Before we get started, um, just to let you know that uh, um, chatting with the elders a, a couple months back, um, we, were, we were talking through our summer vacation plans, and normally we take two weeks off in the summer, and just chatting with the elders, um, we felt in agreement with, together as a team, that, um, uh, th- that it would be best for us to take a little bit longer. This, this, uh, it's been 12 years since we've taken a slightly extended vacation, um, so just letting you know that uh, Debs and I will be on vacation for the entire month of July. So just extending our, our two weeks to about four and a half weeks. So it does include five Sundays, um, but from the 1st of July till the 31st of July, we'll be on a kind of mini sabbatical. Um, so just, just so that you guys are, are aware of that, we haven't left the church. We're not going anywhere. We're just uh, getting a chance to rest up. Our daughter from Boston is coming back next week. So we're going to be able to rest as a, as a family together. Um, just wanted you guys to be aware of that. Um, we, we are actually thinking of, of driving to the West Virginia mountains um, for half of that time, which is going to be quite amazing. And I was looking on, on Google Maps yesterday, and I discovered that the drive out there is, is about 11 and a half hours to the kind of place that we are, are going to be spending some, some time with. And I guarantee that I, I, on that trip, and I, if you've been on any length of trip at any time, and you maybe have small kids in the car, you guys know exactly the question that is, that is asked, not once, not five times, but multiple times, are we there yet? It's always, always asked. And I know that on our road trip, we're definitely going to get asked that question. It, it's, it's not a bad question. It's the way the question is asked. You see, I think there's two ways of asking that question. Are we there yet? Is a good way are we there yet, is maybe not so much of a good question. I actually ask that question all the time when I drive. I don't, I don't say it out loud because I don't want to empower the kids to be asking that question. Um, but the way I ask the question is when I set up a, a, like a GPS for a long trip, I look at the estimated time of arrival and I always want to beat it by at least one minute. So if the estimated time of arrival is 10 hours or 10 hours, I want to do it in nine hours and at least 59 minutes. You guys, know, you guys know what that's like? So when you get there, you're like, I beat the GPS. You know, that's, that's my goal. That's, that's the intention. The Bible teaches that the people of God are on a journey. The Bible teaches and uses incredible metaphors about that, about God's people who are, who are on this journey from, from, from the, the, the place that we're at to the place that God is calling us to, the, the more that He's calling us into. And the book of Exodus is probably the, the best journey story of, of people being rescued out of slavery and rescued out of bondage and being brought into their inheritance, to being brought into their promised land. For, for us, I want to say, don't ever think that our promised land is heaven because we've already got heaven. Heaven is not our inheritance. Heaven is secure. We are in heaven. We are in Christ at the right hand of the Father. Our inheritance the, the place, the promised land that God's taking us to is the more of God. It's, it's greater expressions of, of His manifest presence, His kingdom come to earth just as it is in heaven. I mentioned the book of Exodus describing this amazing journey. And, and in Exodus 15, uh, I want to just read a, a few verses for, from there because uh, um, it tells the account of, of Moses having led the people of God through the Red Sea and, and, and they've come through and, and, and they begin to worship God. And Moses says this about the Lord. Don't turn there, but he says this in worship. He says, Lord, who among the gods is like you? 
who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. And then often what happens in worship, when we begin to extol the name of the Lord, there's a prophetic shift. I don't know if you guys noticed that today. As we worship God, there's often a a prophetic shift that happens when God begins to minister over us. And that's what happens in Exodus 15. God begins to now speak through Moses to his people. And he describes this journey that God's people are on. You will bring them into the land, into a, into a place, into a geography, into, in our language, into neighborhoods and into nations. And you will plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. It's the, it's the gathering place of God's people. It's local churches. You will plant people into local churches. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary of your presence. And that's the journey that describes the journey God has us on. He's, he's, he's bringing us into a city or into a neighborhood or into, into the nations in order to establish places where people gather in the name of the Lord, local churches, and it's there that God's manifest presence, like we enjoyed this morning, like we, we're enjoying right, right now. Psalm 84 says something similar. Blessed are those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. I love that. We are a pilgrim people. We need to settle that fact that Christians are people who are on a journey. Another translation of Psalm 84 says this. Uh, Blessed are those who's, who, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. I love that. God doesn't want us to take back roads. God doesn't want us to take windy back roads. How many of you know how frustrating it is when you know the highway is there and you have to go on a detour of windy back roads to get to the destination? Aiden drove to Columbus a couple of weeks ago. I've just remembered this. And he was meant to take the highways. And he took the windy back roads. And it took him three or four hours longer to get to Columbus. Those are, those are frustrating times. And, and as a church... I just feel prophetically God is wanting us to remain on the highways, to not be distracted by the by the windy country roads, but to remain on the highways that are that are leading us into more that God has for us. Just like we are a family about to go on a journey, Exodus also describes the people of God journeying with him and at times the grumbling that can happen. And you guys, we don't have to read much of Exodus, but Exodus tells the accounts of people saying, Lord, uh, why are we here? When are we going to get to the promised land? Um, So that's all kind of part of of the journey. Church in the city, likewise, is on a journey. We have a destination. The Lord has has spoken His his destination over us. It's, It's what we call our mission statement. That we are called to, to, to proclaim and, and to transform cities as we proclaim and release the love of Jesus. That's the destination God has given us. This heart's desire for, for, for Him, Jesus, to save God's people, to save His people, to rescue His people, to bring them out of slavery into a place of freedom. And to get to that destination, God has given us a roadmap. He's shown us how we are to do it, our our values, the value of family, the value of God's presence, the value of kingdom, the value of being a blessing to others, being a base church. We have a destiny, we have a roadmap, and together we are a community. Now at times we ask the question, and I do it myself, are we there yet, Lord? Are we there yet, Lord? 
When are we going to get there? Lord, surely there must be more. And I want to say, friends, it's not a bad question to ask. It's not wrong for us to say, Lord, there must be more. There must be more that you're leading us into. Thank you for what you're doing. But, Lord, we're trusting to become the fullness of what you've called us to become. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want to become the the fullness, the full expression of all that God wants you to be? Don't you want that for your marriage, those who are married? Because I want that for my life, and and I definitely want that for our church. That we would become all that Jesus has planned and purposed church in the city to be. And this, in essence, is our uh, um, theme, if I can use that word, is our theme for this year. If those of you, some of you might, be, might have been here the first Sunday that I, that I preached in, in this year, 2016. And I preached a sermon entitled, We Need to Prepare and Partner with, we need to partner with God in order to prepare for fruitfulness. We want to see the hundredfold fruit that Matthew speaks of in chapter 13. We want to see the abundant fruit that John speaks of, or or John records Jesus speaking of in John 13. We want to see that that prophecy in, in Ezekiel 47 of the river of God. The river of God is flowing from his throne into the nations. How many of you are comfortable standing on the shore, allowing the river of God to just wet your ankles? Is that, is, is that God's plan for us? No. God wants us to, to, to press in into, for more. God wants us to, to, to as, that pro, as that prophecy carries on, God wants us to, to be in that river to the point where it overwhelms us, where, we, where all we can do is swim in the presence of God, if that makes sense. So I hope you guys are, are, are kind of hearing my heart's cry that, that, yes, we're on this journey, and God's given us a roadmap, and we're a family that are together trusting for more. I trust that you are with me trusting for more. But there's something that is interwoven into all of this, and that's what I want to speak about this morning as I, as I introduce this new series. And I know this is probably a little bit of a weak analogy, and I'm using the analogy of a road trip and, and destinations and maps and cars and, and, and frustration. So forgive me if this is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I kind of, it's the best I can do. So I apologize. But, but interwoven into all of this is the need for fuel. It's the need for fuel. We can dream about destinations. We can have a roadmap planned out. We can have, we can have goals and aspirations and, and, a, and a desire to get there, but we ain't leaving the driveway if we don't have fuel in the car. We're going nowhere. And for me, the fuel for this journey that God has us on is the supernatural life of Jesus. It's the supernatural manifest presence of the Lord. That's the very thing Moses cried out to the Lord for. God had radically delivered Israel out of slavery. He plucked them out of slavery. He said, you know, Exodus 3, he says, I've heard the misery of my people. My heart breaks for the fact that my people are in bondage. And I've come down to rescue them. And God does. He rescues, rescues them supernaturally, passing through the Red Sea, giving them provision and food along the way. But what does Moses say? He says, Lord, don't send us any further unless your presence goes with us. And friends, I trust that is our heart's cry. We will do nothing 
for the kingdom of God. And I know that sounds dramatic, but I want to emphasize capital N and all the other letters. Nothing for the kingdom of God outside of the God, outside of God's presence. We need, we need the fuel of of the supernatural life of Jesus pulsating through our church life in order for us to achieve the things God has called us to achieve. And that's what this series is about. Yes, we're going to talk about signs, wonders, and miracles. But essentially, this is a series about what it means for, for me to be in Christ, but for Christ to be in me. You see, that's a, the, the, the scriptures speak of both, both not just me in Christ, which speaks of my position. It speaks of the fact that eternity is secure for me, but it also speaks of Christ is in me. Jesus, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, resides in my heart. It's this juxtaposition of, of, of our position with the power of God. Heaven and earth come together in us because Jesus is in us. Our heart, our goal, our, our faith as an eldership team for this series is simply this, that God would shift our hearts, that God would, would stir in us an, an expectation that supernatural, the supernatural life of Jesus not be something that we just read about in the Gospels or something that we hear other people doing, but that every one of us no matter where we are in this journey, would desire, would, that God would stir up, God would, would, would place within us a, a hunger and an appetite for His power and His presence as part of normal Christianity. Sheetal didn't know, I, I don't think she knew exactly, don't leave now, Sheetal, it's getting better, I promise. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Just, sorry, I shouldn't have focused attention on you, or you are free to go. Sheetal actually prayed at... Uh, at the prayer meeting this morning, that, that God was, was placing within us a, 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 almost like a, a, a stirring, an appetite, a hunger to feast at his banqueting table. And that's what we are trusting for in this series. That there would be a, today specifically, that there would be a, a rising up in, in hunger, a realization that we're not living in the fullness of what God has for us. I feel like I'm being very frantic. I hope I'm not coming across that way. I'm just very passionate about what God is doing in our hearts. I asked last week, uh, for those that weren't here, I asked the question last week, I challenged us last week, what is your favorite version of Jesus? And I asked a number of very poignant questions, uh, challenging us to make sure that, we, that our, our favorite version of Jesus doesn't exclude uh, the, the fullness of what, what is taught in the Scriptures. And one of the things I challenged us with last week is this. Does your version of Jesus make room for, super, for the supernatural? Does your version of Jesus make room for the supernatural? Today I want to be a little bit more specific. Does your version of Jesus, think about, listen to this please. Does your version of Jesus allow room for Jesus to continue his supernatural ministry in and through you? Does your version of Jesus allow Jesus to continue his supernatural ministry in and through you? So how do we fuel? What is the fuel for a supernatural life? Let's look at Mark chapter 2. We're going to read, 12, we're going to read the first 12 verses. I'm going to make four quick comments, 
and then we're going to be done. And hopefully it'll be done before, uh, well, around about 11.30. Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, so since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a great passage. I mean, there is so much that we can, we can pull out of that. And I just want to focus in on four things, four things that fuel a supernatural life. Number one, when the, we, we are fueled, we are fueled by the supernatural, for the supernatural, when the supernatural becomes natural, or the supernatural becomes normal, while still being supernatural. I'm going to explain that. But things, our lives are fueled when the supernatural becomes normal while still being supernatural. Jesus was incredibly sure and confident of, of who he was, the Son of God, sent by the Father on a, on a mission to, to rescue the nations back to the one who formed and fashioned them. God's expressing God's heart of love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Jesus was confident that the Father had sent him on mission. He was assured of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit upon his life. He knew that what he was teaching was the authority of God's word. And that gave Jesus an unrivaled authority. He was, he was, he was the, a king, the likes of which the world has never seen before. But this is the point I want to make. In spite of all of that, or within the context of all of that, Jesus' ministry was incredibly normal. It was incredibly natural. We've just read an amazing story of, of, of crowds crammed into a room and, and visible faith and Jesus commanding a, a paralyzed man to, to rise up and walk. And, and before that, uh, literally breaking open a, a, a roof in order for people to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus, by the, by the word of knowledge, discerning the Pharisees' hearts. And all of this happened, not in a church, in someone's house. Jesus' ministry was very normal and very natural. In John chapter 2, Jesus changed water into wine at a wedding. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus healed the bleeding woman 
in the city streets. In Mark chapter 15, Jesus fed 5,000 people while at a picnic. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus healed Peter's mom when he popped in for a visit. Mark chapter 6, Jesus walked on water in order to rescue his friends. His ministry was incredibly normal, friends. And when I was thinking about that, I came across this verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. 1 John chapter 4, 17. Write this down. In this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. Or some other translations say, as he is, so also we are in the world. We are called to continue the very, the, the, the very natural yet supernatural ministry of Jesus. And we see that throughout the, 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 the early church. You read the book of Acts. You read the epistles. The early church continued that which Jesus started. A couple of examples. Acts 14. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs, wonders, and miracles. Acts chapter 8. When the crowds heard Philip, they saw the miraculous signs he did. They saw the miraculous signs he did and paid close attention to what he said. Friends, we've been duped, if I can be honest. The church at large, has been duped. We consider supernatural ministry abnormal, and it is not. The supernatural ministry of Jesus was always intended to be continued through his body, which is the church. And Jesus, friends, not church tradition, Jesus establishes what is normal. We cannot look back on church tradition and say, but my church never taught me this. We've got to stand on the word of God. Jesus and his word is whom establishes what is normal Christianity. So I say all that, but I wanted to say this one point. Having said that we're trusting for supernatural to become natural, can I say it must always be supernatural? We cannot heal a soul. We cannot save a soul. It is Jesus' ministry through us. But we're trusting for more of that. What fuels a supernatural life? Secondly, an expectation that anything is possible when we follow Jesus closely. How do we fuel a supernatural life? An expectation that anything is possible when we follow Jesus closely. Friends, I, I hope you know this. You and I are incredibly ordinary. I hope you know that. And, I, and I'm not saying that to insult you. I think you're amazing people, but you're incredibly ordinary, just like me. But Jesus is wonderfully extraordinary. And Jesus lives in me by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, wherever I go, because God will never leave me nor forsake me, every moment is an opportunity for something extraordinary to happen. That's the point we need to remember. There are no formulas in living a supernatural ministry. There are no recipes to living a supernatural ministry. It's simply getting into or realizing that God's, God is present by the Holy Spirit to do great and amazing things. Friends, we gather every Sunday, wonderfully every Sunday, to enjoy the presence of God. And God moves in power here in our midst. But friends, we need to take this presence into the streets. When, when the presence of God impacts lives, things happen. That's what happened in Mark chapter 2. 
The friends were desperate for one thing. Get their paralyzed friend into the presence of Jesus. Because something can happen when Jesus is present. We often say, come Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get into the theological debate about that because the Holy Spirit is always here. But sometimes we say, Lord, come Holy Spirit. Trusting for God's manifest presence. I've started to change my thinking and I've started to listen. And I'm hearing more and more the Holy Spirit saying to me, Steve, come. Not us crying, Holy Spirit, come. But are we taking the time to listen and the Holy Spirit say to us, Steve, Derek, Dirk, Kathy, Chris, Matt, Nancy, come. Follow me and let's go out and take Jesus to a city that is desperate for him. Those of you who are married and those of you who long to be married. So therefore, every person in this room, this illustration applies to you. Think about your marriage proposal or think about how you would want your marriage proposal to be. The moment when the man comes to his bride-to-be and gets on one knee and says, oh, it's not easy when it's sticky. (laughs) Gets on one knee and he says, the love of my life, my darling. I I, I was more elaborate than this. I'm just doing this off the cuff. My, (laughs) My darling. Will you marry me? And ma- thank you. I should hope so. And then Im- imagine, imagine if this was the response. Hmm. I might be open to that. Imagine if that was the response. No, it's, my darling, will you marry me? Yes. Oh, yes. I will marry you. That's a marriage proposal. Sometimes... When Jesus is in the room, sometimes when Jesus is moving to to heal and to minister and to speak prophetically, he's either wanting to heal you or he's wanting to use you to, to heal others. And he says, can I use you? Can I heal you? Can I work through you? And sometimes we say, hmm, I'll be open to that. I might consider that. No. When you read the scriptures, friends, there's a heart cry. Blind Bartimaeus, you know that story in Luke 18? He hears that Jesus is passing by. So what does he do? He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds run to him and they say, shush, keep quiet, stop shouting. And it says, he shouts all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, sorry, If not for yourself, can't that be the cry for our city? If not for your own healing, let that be the cry for the city that we live in, that is desperate for the presence of Jesus. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on our city. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy over our city, Lord. Lord, in this season of just violence and brokenness, We cry out, Lord, for our city. We cry out, Lord, that you would move in power. We just recognize, Lord, that we are weak. But, Lord, you are strong. We are incapable in our own strength. But, Lord, would you empower us, not just this church, but, Lord, the churches across the city, would you empower us to be your arms and legs, to extend your power, your ministry, your life, your healing, 
your wholeness into our city streets. We are desperate for you to move, Lord God. Desperate for you to move. When we follow Jesus closely, we get his heart of passion. Sometimes that's reflected through compassion and love for his people. Mahesh Shavda, who I hope I pronounced that right, but the author of the, of the book, Only Love Can Make a Miracle, writes this. He says, It was though the Lord broke off a little piece of his heart and placed it inside of me. I was learning that the power of God was to be found in the love of God. That healings came almost as a byproduct. I learned that only love can make a miracle. Don't you love that? Only love can make a miracle. John G. Lake describes a different form of God's passion. Not love and compassion for people, but an anger and a a righteous anger against the devil. John G. Lake writes this, A great cry to God, such such as had never before come from my soul, went up to God. He's speaking about a woman that he was praying for. She must not die. I would not have it. Had not Christ died for her? No words of mine can convey to another soul the cry that was in my heart and the flame of hatred for death and sickness that the Spirit of God had stirred within me. The very wrath of God seemed to possess my soul. Friends, my cry, my prayer, as I, as I do my best to lay a foundation for the series, is, that, is not that we'd learn techniques, but that God would get hold of our hearts and change us to become a people that, are, that, are, that, that love our city and have an anger and a righteous, a, wrath, a righteous anger against the work of the devil. And that we would see God's power working through us, not for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus. What fuels the supernatural life? We're nearly done. A growing faith. A growing faith. Our, our time is, is beyond us. I do not have time to unpack what I had hoped to say. But I will say this, friends. I've been speaking about faith for the last three weeks. And I will just say this, friends. Faith is not thinking positive thoughts, screwing up your eyeballs and trying to eliminate all the negative thoughts in your head. That's not faith. Faith is not working hard in order to see Jesus move. Faith is not trying to convince yourself of the right things. Faith is trust in the person of Jesus. We're not so much having faith for healing as we are putting our faith in the person of Jesus. And every single person here who believes in Jesus knows exactly how to do that. This is the most profound truth that I thought of this week, and you're going to laugh. We're called believers because that's what we do. We believe in Jesus. It's that simple. It's honestly that simple. Do I believe that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do? That's what faith is. Trusting in the goodness of God. Trusting in the unconditional love of God. Two quick comments about faith. I'm trusting that we can create an environment of testimonies as we go on this journey of trusting for more of, of the supernatural ministry, ministry of Jesus. Can I encourage you, the next time you get together with a, with a friend, 
for coffee. The next time we get together, and we were speaking about this as an eldership team, the next time we get together is at our prayer meeting, even on Sundays or connect groups, start the conversation like this. Have you got any cool stories of what God is doing? Ask each other for testimonies. Second thing about faith, let's celebrate what God is doing. Even small things. I'm a huge sports fan. There are a range of celebratory responses depending on which sport you watch. I love golf and I love, and I love playoff hockey. Now, if you know anything about golf and playoff hockey, the fans are very different. This is how golf fans generally celebrate a good shot. This is how hockey fans generally celebrate a goal. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? Whoa! That's amazing! Woo! That's incredible! Friends, let's not be, when, the, when God moves, let's not be those who politely celebrate with a golf clap. Let's be those who, are, who go off our rocker because God is moving in signs, wonders, and power. That's how we celebrate. That's what releases faith when we share testimonies and we celebrate what God is doing. Lastly, what fuels a supernatural life? By the way, if you don't know me, I'm an introvert. That was very difficult for me to do. <laughs> Lastly, what fuels a supernatural life? No matter what, no matter what, we worship Jesus. No matter what, we worship Jesus. Look at verse 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. I think it was Randy Clark who said, we can never guarantee a miracle, but we can guarantee that the person prayed for will know the love of God. Can I say this? Can I add to that? We can never guarantee a miracle. But we can guarantee that the person we prayed for will know the love of God. But we can also guarantee that Jesus will always be exalted, no matter whether the person is healed then or not. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the context of signs, wonders, and miracles. You guys know the the account in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are three Israelites in in, Israel. in a pagan culture, and the king of that, of that, of that nation built a, a massive idol to, uh, and insisted everyone bow down to worship them, and they refused. And so he's about to throw them into a, into a fiery furnace, and this is their response. He says, they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. God is able. Friends, God is able to heal. God is able to move in power. And they go on, he will rescue us from your hand. God is not just able, but God is willing. God God is able to heal. He has the authority and the power to heal. And God desires, God wants to heal. It is his heart to heal and move supernaturally. But even if he does not, they, they carry on. We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And this is what I want to suggest as a simple theology for, as we move forward in this, that we believe that God is able to move in signs, wonders, and miracles. And that we believe, 
with all of our hearts that God desires and is willing to move in signs, wonders, and miracles. But no matter what happens, we are going to insist that we worship Jesus always. What fuels a supernatural life? Firstly, the belief that the supernatural be natural. Secondly, that as we stay close to Jesus, anything is possible. Thirdly, that we become a people where our faith begins to grow. And then lastly, in everything and through everything, we continue to worship Jesus. Can I get the worship team coming up here quickly, if you don't mind? We want to spend some time just taking just another two or three minutes just to allow God to massage these truths into our hearts. Friends, I know that I know most of you sitting in this room. I don't know all of you, but I know most of you. And I know your hearts, like mine, are trusting to see God move upon our city. I know that we all long to see a different Chicago to the one that we currently see at times. I know, even for our nation, I, I'm, I don't want to get political for a moment, but, but I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not even going to go there. That's just going to distract us totally and take us off the, 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 what God is doing. Our nation needs Jesus as much as our city needs Jesus. And I know there's a longing in our hearts. But friends, I want to say, whatever God is calling us to, it will count to nothing unless we are responding to Jesus' supernatural power. Unless we are trusting for Jesus to move in us and through us. Friends, I want to say there is more. There is more. There is more. There are people that have not yet heard the gospel. There are the broken and the sick and the hurting in our city. There is more. And I want it. And I know you do too. The kingdom of God, the tide has come. But right now, the kingdom of God is not overwhelming us completely, is it? Let's be honest. And not out of a sense of frustration, but just out of a sense of, Lord, we want to see the fullness of your kingdom come here on earth, just as it is in heaven. If that's your cry, I want to ask in 30 seconds for you to stand. And I'm going to pray a very short prayer. But essentially what I'm asking you to do is for you to cry out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on our city. Jesus, Son of God, would you move on my life? Maybe some of you need to say, Lord, forgive me when I've considered being used by you. Maybe today you can say, Lord, here I am. I don't understand everything. I don't know everything, but I just am trusting for more. We are all on a journey at different stages, but not one of us in this room has yet arrived. Not one of us in this room is experiencing the fullness of God in their life. And so can I ask, just if you feel comfortable to do that, to stand with me, to say, Lord, Lord, would you move in power, even if not for your own life. Begin to pray for your, begin to pray for the city. If you're visiting, pray for the city that you're from. Pray for our city. Pray for your neighborhood. You're just going to take two or three minutes 
and just ask for God to come and to move among us. Begin to lift up your voice as the worship team plays. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Begin to cry, Father, Father, fill us with your fire. Fill us with your fire, Lord God. Jesus, we are desperate for you. We are desperate for you, Jesus. We cry out to you for our city, Lord. We cry out to you for our church, Lord God. We cannot take one more step outside of your presence. We cannot move one more meter or one more yard without your presence, Jesus. We ask for a fresh outpouring. We ask for a fresh infilling, Jesus. Lord, would you fill us this morning? Would you shift our hearts, Lord? Shift our hearts, I pray, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just continue to pray. Continue to cry to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.